0: Welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash Alumni. Cash Alumni is the fastest growing association of professionals in care, health and education, and we're happy to have you here. This is where you'll hear from specialists and experts from across our network. Here's what's coming up. We all sat in school
1: and did subjects we didn't like. We struggled, we did it, but God, did it take work. But when you've done the ones you enjoyed, the ones you loved, it may have taken you extra work, but you didn't mind staying up the extra hours. You didn't mind reading the extra chapters or getting the extra book. You didn't mind doing any of it. So it made it easier. Let's jump in to this week's episode. My name's Jenny Phillips. I am a qualified early years worker with varying qualifications in early years. I'm also a qualified paediatric neonatal intensive care nurse. I was a lecturer in child health at a university and I am also qualified in forest school education and I'm working in a forest school preschool and I'm moving in September to an SEN school to be a teacher with an SEN class. And I'm qualified in animal therapy, farm therapy, and animal interventions. And I do many projects around animal interventions, some of which I've obviously published with cash.
2: Listening to, I mean, I I know that you've done lots of things and you've got loads of qualifications, but listening to all of your qualifications in a row like that is pretty intense. How have you managed to do so much.
1: There's never been a year I've not studied since I've left secondary school.
2: So I left
1: secondary school, went to college and done my NNEB, as it was back then, the cash. Studied for two years for that. And then when I went to work in nursery, that was full time, I then studied my advanced diploma in childcare and education, another cash qualification. And then after that, I done my level three professional cash. And then I've done my level three SEN working with children. And I've just never stopped. There's never been a year I've not studied minimal one thing full time while working. Obviously.
2: And you never seem to stop. You seem to have all of the things going on all of the time. From the outside, it seems like you're just really passionate about what you do and you want to fill your days
1: with that. I love working with children. I love working with special needs. Children, young adults, adults, I don't have an age range on that. I love animal therapy and farm therapy. And combining all of those things together, to me, is pure heaven. That's the job gold star, cherry on the top, the opportunity. And because I wanted it, I just worked and worked and tried to find different ways of making sure that I could make it happen.
2: How do you feel that you're, you're getting on towards that? I know that obviously you're moving in September to the SEN school and that you've been working with a lot of farm therapy stuff in the forest school that you're at now. Where are you on that journey of like dream job?
1: Forest school, obviously when I was in nursing, I looked at animals in health and animals in nursing and done a lot of work around introducing animals into health and growing that education and awareness within those fields. I'd done many activities and events, as you know, at the university, got the animals in, took over the whole university with the animals. We were like a zoo at times. And that furthered the health aspect, which allowed me then to get into the education aspect sort of like by a a tentacle sideline, you know, because I'm part of the university. And then they kind of absorbed me into them. And i done lots of things with animals in education for them. Going to forest school, let me actually then put that into practice. So we had animals at my forest school. We have three alpacas, a snake, five chickens. We have seven cats on site. We also have a visiting dog that comes to stay for weeks on end. The animals have allowed me to do so much therapy and intervention, especially because I'm the Senko at the nursery it's allowed me to combine and use sort of like therapeutic approaches with the animals the cat has been totally amazing George the dog has allowed me to work with children with dog fears and two of the children that wouldn't go anywhere near a dog now stroke Charlie, give him a cuddle, talk to him. It's nice to see the change.
2: That's really lovely. It took me until I was a grown-up to be all right with dogs really. I got chased around by a tiny dog when I was probably like nine or ten and then I was very wary of dogs until I suppose until I got into farming and became okay with other animals and then it seemed really ridiculous to be, be okay with a bull but not be okay with a dog and sort of I suppose understood animal behaviour a little bit better to be able to build that relationship with dogs again so that's really interesting
1: and I think there's ever been an animal I've ever I'm naturally one I just go oh isn't it cute I mean yeah I've coloured I went on holiday went to um, the deep south and cuddled an alligator literally cuddled an alligator and thought it was cute so I'm sitting there going oh he's so cute when I done my Duke of Edinburgh you're gold you have to do a service so I went to Paradise Wildlife Park I worked with tigers and Lions and camels, and all the other, including the horses and the rabbits as well. But found you know, made the most of my time there. Got on, there wasn't an animal I wouldn't go in with or do anything with. Just say, like, Yeah, come then, I'll do it. And that's what's allowed me to then. At the moment, I've just had a little boy with SEN. George the cat has his own reputation, bless him. He's, he, he's his personality isn't known as the best, he's a unique cat all our cats are rehomed we don't know their backgrounds to be honest so they're all rehomed cats but George is the school cat with this little boy that I've been working with that is not the same cat that you that everybody else sees my little boy has Down syndrome and they have such a unique bond and George the cat can get that boy to do anything anything he will not pick up a pencil voluntarily for any mark making but when I put a picture of a cat to color in, he looks at it, says George, and will pick up a pencil and just try any sort of mark-making. And then he wants to go and give it and show it to George. He he uses, obviously, like we all know, most children with Down syndrome pull hair, you know, they're quite heavy-handed. With George, we've always spoken about gentle hands before we touch. And he even now says gentle hands and his strokes. And George just lays there. Even when a misguided finger goes up a nostril in an ear, he doesn't do anything. He just lays there, looks at him... They have conversations. My little boy makes noises. George meows. He makes noises. George meows. It's like a proper two and
2: forth. And my little
1: boy never has conversations. So George has allowed him that learning experience of how it's a two and fro conversation.
2: That's great. And I don't think I credit George with that. But I would imagine that there's quite a lot in that relationship from you and the way that you have approached the building of that because obviously putting a, a, a stray or a temperamental cat into a room full of children who might not know the best ways to to work with that animal probably isn't a recipe for best day anybody's ever had so tell us a little bit more about farm and animal therapy in general and how that works okay
1: so first of all know your animals know your people Yes, I knew Georgie's history, but I also knew because I'd spent time with him before, I let any child near him, <laughs> what his capabilities were. And what I found was he didn't like to be approached from the front of his nose, you know, like a, a a full-on hand facial and it's like well an adult wouldn't a child wouldn't want your hand in their face that's common politeness so I'd figured out that you come from the back of him you know like you stroke down the back of his neck and you'd go down his body and as soon as I found that out all my children in forest school we sat behind him and when I said to them look at how his body is talking to you George can't tell you leave me alone now I've had enough So look at how his body changes and that's telling you what you need to know. And so we learned how to read body language. Well, with my mainstream children, that was very easy. They understood that and it was a learning curve because obviously that translates to humans as well. We start to pick up people's body postures and body movements. With my little boy, it, had to be slightly different he didn't have that cognitive functioning of understanding so I'd sit with him we'd do the same but I would purposely sit him to the side of the cat not in front of him so his hand wouldn't come from the front it would come from the side and what I found was that I'd guide his hand first and do hand over hand sharing the journey and then as he got used to it and repeated it he done it himself so and then i could leave them and then they got to the point where he could sit in front of him but he knew he still had to put his hand around the back of the cat but he could sit looking him directly we we kind of built to it and farm therapy any animal therapy is exactly the same obviously no anyone's got an allergy is a good start because don't put any allergic people with animals they're allergic to if they've got a fear fear Don't give them a spider and watch them run and scream. That's traumatic. But it's a matter of building up to it and working. My two little boys with a dog, we stood back. We just looked at him from afar. What does he look like? What colour? What shape? What size? You know, why don't you like dogs? And general conversation, but nowhere too close. And then building a little bit closer. And then me standing in front and then standing in the middle. Not close enough to a head, but close enough to a tail. Because I'm lucky, Charlie, when you give him a rub, the towel keeps going. And the more you rub, the more the towel goes. So it's like a good game because the children want the towel to, to keep wagging. And that's where we started. And then once they got used to that and enjoyed, we come further up the head and looked and we spoke about how animals can't talk and it's the way you engage with them and look at their bodies and they built and now they'll stand next to his head stroke the top of his head between his ears and it's the same when the alpacas don't walk behind an alpaca unless you want to get kicked (laughs) stay towards the front don't poke your finger where you wouldn't like your finger would you like somebody's finger up your nose in your ear sharing and then letting them have the opportunity to i don't know stroke brush the alpacas, I harness and they walk, so they can go for a little... It, it looks a bit bizarre with a really tall alpaca and a really short three-year-old, but um, it works. And they, they, and obviously, we've got a double-handled double, double handled lead. So I've got one, they've got one, so it's all good and safe, but they think they're doing all the work, and I'm just there for this pretty sight. And we, we go off walking. They feed them. They know flat hands, unless you want to give them a finger for the treats, give them, give them a flat hand. And that's what they do. And that's how we build and that's how we've done all our animals. The snake is exactly the same. They know how to handle the snake, how to touch.
2: Thinking about how that works in practice and having read the article that you wrote for Illuminate, the Cash Alumni member magazine, obviously we know a little bit about the, the benefits and the theory behind that animal therapy as well. What is it about animal and farm therapy that fascinates you so much that you've made it such a big part of your life and your career I
1: think I've always loved animals mum's always said I've had a thing for it I've always gone to animals even like as a little child you know with the creepy crawl is and the worms and the slugs in your hand I've always had animals and if it's furry feathered scaled I want to be with it touch it and I think I've always known that there's some there's a connection there I mean a lot of people would say biophilial hypothesis because that they believe that we are nature ourselves going back to evolution theory so we are nature we need to be connected to it and we are naturally drawn to it. I think I'm the poster girl for that. um, if you're looking in that way. But then as I've grown, as I've learned more and wanted to do more, I've started to see it. And then obviously I'm one of these, it's like, no, don't tell me, show me, do it, try it. And I've done it. I can see it. I've shared it with others, seen the results seeing what's capable what's possible and it's like yeah and it's just built and developed more and more and more the more I learn the more I see the more I want to try it the more I want to do it leads me on to something else develop something a bit further so when i went and worked in bosnia i went to a equine therapy center and spent time there and they let me do equine therapy sessions and have a hand in on that not just stand and watch and stroke horses and of course that really built and gave me the concrete evidence of what i was doing and totally loved it and i had the micro pig experience and i was afforded that opportunity and i was like yep i'll do it come on where's the pig saw what the pigs did for people and obviously I've got friends that have animal rooms and I've worked with people with animal rooms in their schools. The more you do, the more you see and the more you want. It's just it's just a love,
2: it's a passion. So you referenced the micro pig experience there and I'm not sure if anyone in the audience will know what you're referring to. So can you tell her a little bit more about the micro pig experience?
1: So micro pigs, the, the more common street name is probably a teacup pig if if people are looking at a more classic name. And yes, those are the ones that you do hear in the newspapers. They bought a teacup pig and it turned into this huge, great big pig and they then have to give it away because it wasn't what they expected. But it's because they've not bought from the right people, basically. They've not actually done their homework as they should have and just gone with a really good, colourful ad and been happy. But, But genetically, there will always be one pig that will prove the point and grow big. But a micro pig is a very small pig. They can... Some people have them live in their houses like dogs. They are the fourth most intelligent animal on the planet, so they're trainable. So they have been trained to go into litter trays or certain areas or like dogs, I'm letting you out at this time, go do what you need to do and then come back. And because they are so small, you can get that contact, that bond with the pig. And of course... You don't have the allergies like you do for dogs because it's a pig, not a dog. They're more hypoallergenic. They don't cost as much as a dog to feed. They eat pig nuts (laughs) and some some leftover vegetables that you're probably not going to use and etc etc. So they afford many opportunities that some people may not get an exposure to certain animals with, but they're a completely different animal as well. And they have their own personalities, their own And they do have personalities. When I went to see them, you could see all these different... Like in a nursery class, you could see the clown and the the troublemaker and the quiet one. And it's just like being in a classroom when you're surrounded by micro pigs. But it's great fun. And in America, a lot of micro pigs are used in hospitals as well.
2: That's interesting. I'd love to see more like in hospitals, like tiny pigs and and, and cool things that, that happen over here. That would be amazing.
1: Well, in this country, we use dogs. As you know, the most classic is a dog. They've just started a couple branching into cats. A couple of farms have started doing, you know, like the touring farms. A lot of schools buy in a farm to come in for a few hours. They bring a few animals. Well, a similar principle, but for hospitals, and they take farms. But in America, more standardised, like our dogs in hospitals, their standard animals are far more diverse than ours. They'll have cats, dogs, rabbits, guinea pigs, micro pigs, micro horses, horses, llamas and alpacas rats and birds and they all go into hospitals they've all passed their you know like their certificates and been approved and got all their paperwork but it's not unusual to go to an American hospital and walk past an alpaca going in the lift to a patient on the third floor like it is in our hospital to stand next to a dog going to the third floor to visit a patient.
2: That that, that would be a a bit of a a dream come true I think to go into a hospital and to to share a lift with something cool like a, a pig or an alpaca. I was amazed at how i'm going to say how human animals are we have chickens that live in the garden and they all have such distinct personalities and ways of approaching situations and relationships that it would be very difficult not to see them as tiny people
1: maybe the flip side of that is like we were talking about labeling Well, if you can't label an animal that's human maybe we follow the animals flip it just look at it from a different way you know we all the animals we've all grown and developed i mean the chicken is the closest living relative to the dinosaur so we've all been around they've been around longer than we have and chickens as you know if you put one on your lap and stroke them they'll purr they're happy they purr but that is a good thing for you and if you've got a cat and can put it on your lap and stroke it and it purrs it resets your homeostatic wave they're at the same hertz wave so you'll give yourself a a a boost and a well-being and a health boost to your body by stroking a cat and making it purr on your lap and also you get a good the good time of chill out yeah
2: there's there's nothing there's nothing better than cuddling a chicken i don't think for for like just feeling good like it's just that they're such lovely animals to to spend time with to to socialize with like my my... but
1: then there's so many animals The amount of time I've spent cuddling an alpaca. And it, I would say the same. You know, Not that I can sit him on my lap. He's too big. All three of them are. You know, that sort of hug and cuddle. And especially on a cold winter's day, they're nice and warm as well. And there's a connection to be had for different times and spaces and needs and to what you want. I mean, people say you can't cuddle a snake. Yeah, you can. You can curl up with the snake and have that. And there are people that have sensory processing or a lot of children and adults with autism relate to snakes easier and um, they can have that connection that they sometimes find hard with other animals so i think it's individual needs to your book you would loved on you need to read the gentle barn i'll add that to my list it's the most amazing book it tells you about she started her own organization in america and how she started cuddling a cow and how all these animals and what they do and how they work for people the very first part tells you about some traumatic part in her life and what set her on this course but it doesn't go into it so much that you're like you know like wanting to cry and hide in a cupboard or anything it just sort of sets enough of the background so you understand where she is and why she's where she is you could skip it and not lose anything but the whole gentle barn journey and if you remember in my farm therapy one i wrote about cow cuddling there's where it came from it started with buttercup her cow when she first started the gentle barn. it's amazing
2: i think that's 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 the dream for all of her isn't it to have a a farm of our own that we can use for
1: amazing it would not surprise anybody in my house if i come home and they found come home one day
0: and there's an alpaca walking past and a pig walking down they'll be like what the heck but they won't be surprised this is podcash brought to you by cash alumni for discounts on everything from apple products to mots visit the cashback page of cashalumni.org.uk that's cashalumni.org.uk
2: so you talked a little bit about I suppose the best phrase to use would be horses for horses thinking about different situations for different animals and different things that people might need how do you know what animal is the right animal to support a particular child or young person or adult that you're supporting
1: you never put an animal straight with it. you might be surrounded by them but you don't put one on a lap or something straight away you, you talk first and get to see them first of all use your eyes your ears and your brain cells first to kind of see a personality things like coordination how how well they move how well they don't move because obviously certain animals will move a lot quicker than others snakes are slower going reptiles are so if you've got somebody that's not as quick and mobile and more jerky a slower animals going to be better for them if you've got somebody tottering all over the place you're not going to give them a little chihuahua to fall over because it's gone around their legs and they're full and flat you're going to want something like a nice big alpaca that's easy to see and easy to manipulate and get around so some of it is observation and practicality allergies again obviously fear if they say to you i'm an arachnophobic you're not getting a tarantula out anytime soon and sometimes if you ask well what are your favorite animals or if it's an older person you know like what animals did you have when you were younger what animals did you enjoy being around? they'll give you the answer you may not have the exact species but you might have a simple oh i have rabbits i don't have a rabbit i have a guinea pig you know you can sort of work out from what they say and what they tell you or if you're in a room with animals they'll look at all of them but generally given five minutes or so they will keep going back to one they will keep looking or moving back to something that's really caught their their interest and introduce them if it doesn't work there's plenty of others it's not a lost thing. It's still a learning experience. It's still an experience to be had and to be benefited from. And also they've got to meet an animal. But it's, then maybe the next one is the one they're like, yeah, this is my favourite. This is, my, favorite. This is my, my version of I love to cuddle a chicken. This is my version of I love an alpaca or whatever. Or there are some people that actually just benefit from a bit of everything. There is no one set standard, especially some people, you know, the kind of people that their moods change daily. Well, then the animal changes with the mood because depending on that mood, that certain animals may not be appropriate for that day. So, and some people just like to be more flexible and diverse and share the love a bit more across fur, scales, and feathers. (laughs) and try a bit of everything and there's nothing wrong with that it's just knowing what you want to get out of this more planning for it or being flexible enough to go okay well we can still do that just do it a different way have the bird today have the cat today go with the flow there's no invalid process so listening to this
2: it feels a little bit like this is almost second nature to you that this is just like well this is how i would approach it and it all just seems dead easy but obviously. There is that saying never work with children or animals. You've decided to do both of those things together.
1: Yeah, the famous quote, never work with animals, never work with children. Yeah. Animals.
2: So like whilst it seems like for you, it, it's quite easy and comes naturally to not only work with both of those groups, but to to work with maybe some of the more difficult to navigate things in those people's lives, whether that's the animals who have been rescue animals or children who have additional needs or like special educational needs and and to bring all of that stuff together i can imagine that there are practitioners who are listening who are like that's a lot again you haven't stopped studying since you started school not just since you left school because obviously at school you were learning what is it that you've studied what is it that you've done that's led you particularly to this point with animals
1: I think my when I studied my first master's, and you know what I'm like with this, so we won't go there, my first master's, when I was told I could pick any subject I wanted, any topic I wanted, as long as it was within my, because I'd done it in um, education and special educational needs, as long as it hit the special educational needs criteria and the stuff of that my tutor said do what I like mm-hmm. well did he open the can of worms on that day I mean he was with me for the whole journey bless him and he never regretted it and he said he loved it as much as I did but I was the only one that went so far out of the box um but he let me have free reign and I'd done many stuff up until that point both of my bachelors had stuffed and build in it but I couldn't write on it because it wasn't the requirement For any of those essays and it didn't give me the free reign to to just go full 100% out on it whereas this did and that's where my whole thing started a master's in inclusive education looking at animals in special needs schools and so it just went 110% full out full wham and I had access through the because I was at the university I was link lecturer to special needs schools and they were like yeah bring animals Come, bring animals, Jenny. We've got children. Bring animals, and so that's where we started. And that's while it started before that in small ways, that was the big catalyst that kind of said, "You're allowed to do it. Do what you want." And since then, I've never not let anything never let anything stop me. The animals have always been what I've done. Even now, in the masters I'm doing now, my while it is in leadership and management, it's in animals being incorporated into education and. The doctoral stuff was in animals in health.
2: That's amazing. And you, I mean, you are pretty incredible. It feels very much like you are immersed in both of those things and you like to both do things and be very hands on and practical and, and learn things through doing as much as being fairly academic. Do you have any tips for people who maybe are a little bit fearful of academic study but actually are very passionate about things?
1: To be honest, I was always the kinesthetic let's face it I'm the hands-on still am why do you think I work for and 4 year olds come on you know like the hands-on all the way but it's like to do things and to study you have to go on I was you know I was never the the, the pegged academic in when I was at secondary school you know it was just like yeah okay you did what you needed to do you did your best and you carried on I knew what I wanted work with children so I I went to college in an NNEV, you know, so I knew what I had to do and you concentrate on it. And the thing is, though, it's like nobody's going to stop me. So what you like. You can tell me I'm not going to be able to do it. Bless her, mum got told I would never go beyond college. I'd go to college, do my NNEV. I'd be totally great. Childcare was my area, That pretty much don't expect me to go any further than that bless her, she's got six graduation pictures on her wall at the moment um, from universities. So never let anybody tell you you can't. Never let anybody say you can't. It may take a lot more work. It may take more effort. You may do it a bit slower. But You do what you want to get where you need to be. And if it's where you want to be, you'll do it because you'll find the way like anything. You'll always find the way to get there. And if one way is blocked, doesn't mean, say, you can't get there via a different route. You just have to look and do a bit of research and go, Okay, I can't do that one because I don't have all the A's and the B's. But if I do that and go this side or do this or work in that environment, that would then lead me into another pathway. Just keep going. Don't stop. Don't let anybody say no. Find your own ways of working. Find your own ways of doing things. I learned, you know, my brain doing, my brain goes, I'm very much spidergrams, diagrams, pictor- pictures when I plot and see things. I mean, my, my lecturers used to look and go, oh, God, look what she's done. But that's how I plot it out to be able to do it. That's how I see it. And nobody's ever stopped me. They may look at it and cringe when I do it. And especially if they're people that don't understand how different people work, and maybe you don't work in their normal, very linear lines, that's fine. Just say to them, that's fine, you work your way, I'll work my way. Just help me and we'll get there in the end. And we I have, and I've just never let anybody say no or stop.
2: So it sounds like the secret to achieving all of those things, like those multiple degrees, multiple master's, heading towards sort of PhDs and doctoral things is, it sounds really cliched, but is to find something that you're passionate about and use it as a vehicle to achieve amazing things.
1: Yeah, I'm not into languages. I, I speak English and bad English. I do not speak multiple languages. Like some people pick it up like sponges. So I sat in French and it was a disaster. I, but I did the best, but I knew that wasn't. But my childcare when I was at school was obvious that was my area we all sat in school and did subjects we didn't like we struggled we did it but god did it take work but when you've done the ones you enjoyed the ones you loved it may have taken you extra work but you didn't mind staying up the extra hours you didn't mind reading the extra chapters or getting the extra book you didn't mind doing any of it so it made it easier and then you got the grades that you wanted or you achieved what you had wanted to do so if you love it, it i've sat up reading don't even ask what time i've read these animal books to and the The theories and stuff. I'm still up at two in the morning with the light on, and I just don't see it as a problem. I'm I'm enjoying what I'm reading, like people read, you know, their Agatha Christies and stuff. But if you love it enough, it will carry you where you want to be. If it's a subject you hate, but you have to do it, you'll do what you need to do to just get it done. But you're not putting in any extra.
2: So, how did you find what it? like that link between the things you're passionate about, because not everybody would look at early years education and childcare and look at working with animals and go, "Oh, those two things fit together? I can build a, a world around those two things. They would either go, well, I'm going to work in childcare or I'm going to work in a nursery and an early years education and I'm going to follow that path because that's set out right in front of us and I can follow that path and I can be a nursery nurse and then I can become a room leader and I can become a nursery manager and i can go down that path because that's what that career looks like or they would say well i'm gonna leave school and i'm gonna work as a receptionist in a vet and then i'm gonna get into animal care and i'm gonna follow that path and i'm gonna you seem to have built your own path and sort of made it up as you've gone along how does that work
1: i don't see that there's any define boundaries in anything there's always an expected and obvious route don't get me wrong there's always that one you become a nursery nurse you become the room leader you may become sencos or leads of certain subjects like safeguarding or what have you and then you may become a, a you know like a deputy manager and a manager and go up the ladder because that's a standard business sort of methodog- methodological plan but I've never been the one and I always said to my students. That doesn't mean to say that's the only version that's out there. And there are people that suits, and please don't get me wrong. For the people that suits, please do it. If that suits you and that's your aim of the game, you want to be the director of the nursery, then obviously that's your route. That's what you need to do. But there shouldn't... I don't see that there is any in particular barrier to anything. You can mix and match many things. And just because it's never been done before doesn't mean to say it's not the right. It's not the improve. It's not the better. Because there's nothing to disprove it because it's never been tried. So you want it you enjoy it mix it together you know like how did we put reggio emilio into our classes how did we put high scope unless we go and learn saw and try how did new loose part theory come to play unless somebody put loose parts in and let children have a go to see what happened it whatever your passion is i i've done you know a lot of vico stuff because i went to a forest school and became a forest school room lead and thought i'm in forest school surely eco environmental is part of forest school education it should be in it i just made the decision as the room leader this is the plan we're gonna have we follow the eyfs curriculum i devised my own curriculum in eco and ran it alongside it Combine the two because eyfs is flexible enough that you can combine the two in the different areas so same with animals there is no boundaries unless you put them there or you can't come up with the argument to overcome them and i've got good at arguing and overcoming things and it's just like yeah i'll prove my point give me a day may need to may not come straight so quick but give me a day or two and I'll overcome that because I'll find a way to counter your argument. Or generally, they've just never even thought of it half the time and go, look what I've thought of. Look at what I've decided I want to do. And I did and got a snake in my classroom.
2: So it sounds like it's a combination of being able to ask what if and to imagine new things and things coming together, but then being able to to articulate the reasons why your idea is a good idea and not being put off by other people's inability to see that what if straight away yeah
1: I mean there are no boundaries so don't, don't put one there where one doesn't exist, otherwise you're making your own problem. Just see your vision, see what you want, and then go, okay, now how do I make this practical? Yeah, we're not all getting in a rocket and going to Mars anytime soon, so that's not the next nursery day trip out, but maybe I can take them to the, to the museum when we can do, or something, you know, think creatively. But then be ready when some people are not creative, are not ready to just think out their box because they're comfortable in their box and it's like, yeah, don't 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 rock this boat, don't don't do anything. So be ready to sort of say, ah, oh, but you know, this is, the, this is the benefit. Be ready because you know what they're going to say. What are the policies and protocols, the health and safety, the cost is always going to be one and all of that. And you can be ready with all of that and say, so, yes, well, I did cost it. I've done a really good deer version, a mid-range version, and let's face it, the shoestring budget version. I've got the policies and protocols, and I found that this is, you know, allowed. And I've got the research evidence to support my idea on what I'm doing. Here it all is, and I've written it out for you or I've given it to you in this folder, or I can tell you if you would like me to. And then let them, because then if you're putting it forward to them, and if you don't like the answer, say from your next person up, go to the one above. There's always somebody higher.
2: That's great, and I think that idea of like having the confidence in your own ideas and the things that you want to bring is is really important, um, especially in early years and care, where I think maybe there's there's lots of people who have loads of insight about what would make a setting better or what would make the lives of the people that they work with every day better because they know them very well, um, but maybe they don't have the confidence to suggest new things or to pursue them once that hold no. So hearing about all of the things that you've managed to achieve by not taking no for an answer um is, is maybe something that people can can take that away from and maybe try again with their what if.
1: Yeah, just be ready. I mean the easiest way to do it, my mom is very good at this. I say to her, this, this, and this, and she will always play what's known as devil's advocate. And so she'll be my opposite. I'll say yes, and she'll say no, just purposely. But not She She may agree with me 100%, but she'll be the no person to make me argue it. You know, like Because you will come across that person that is the no person. So what's your argument for it? And then she'll say, but what, and how, and when, and where, and why, like that person is going to be. So what you want to do is, if you're not as confident in yourself and or your thing you're putting forward find somebody you are comfortable with a friend a family member a colleague and say basically like as a role play but not just over a cup of coffee and go right come in argue it out with me let's do if you go to university let's do the viva or the oski be ready to argue this case and say okay no because of the cost ah well now you see i've argued that one because there's a deer and a cheap and a whatever ah but what about this health and safety Ah, yes well you see we can do this and you'll build your confidence so when you go into them with that person and they start their nose and the and buts and whats and wheres, you've already got the answers because your mum or somebody's already asked you that.
2: That's great. And I think that idea that no is a starting point and not necessarily the end point in it.
1: No is never an end. To me, no is just like, okay. How many children, when you say something, the first word they ever learn, no, no. Do you want this? No. And it's like as nursery workers, we've all learned how to deal with that no because you know they've got to do it even if they don't want to do it. But how do you make them do it so they make the choice of doing it, that you've not forced it? It's no different. You just take your early years' skills and adapt it to a different way of thinking and no is where you start. It's not a negative, it's a positive because if
2: you overcome the no. So no is a conversation.
1: Yeah. No, no is not a dead-end subject. No is like students used to say no to me and I say, no, I'll give you your case please why no is not an answer no is a statement it's not an answer to anything please finish the sentence and i I'm, I'm bad enough that i'll go to my bosses and they'll say no and i'll be like could you explain that please and then let them start the conversation because they then have to explain why they're saying no
2: so actually forcing someone to think about the reasons for law is sometimes quite important to to move things forward
1: i would say don't let anybody say no don't let anybody tell you no don't let anybody tell you you can't. Yes, you can. You may just have to find your own way of doing it, but yeah, you can. Learn to look out. I don't believe in boxes. and My brain never works in a box. It works in another galaxy. So don't be don't be bounded in boxes. Don't be bounded by labels. I've People that know me well enough, including you, Dawn, would know. If I could get a, an elephant, a tiger, a crocodile, all those animals, everybody would say, no, 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 never, never, never. They would all be in my classroom, and there's a place for them all. So that's what I believe and I will keep working till I hopefully get my own farm in a classroom or my own zoo in a classroom and there are schools out there with animal rooms and there's a secondary school with its own zoo attached and it is registered as a zoo under the zoo licensing of England. So there is no impossibilities you want it, go get
0: it. Thanks for listening to PodCash. If you enjoyed it, please follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can also watch many of these conversations by heading over to cashalumni.org.uk and going to the CPD and Best Practice section of the site. That's cashalumni.org.uk.